welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. An Ogilav Nanagus midwinter special. The Craneskin Bag, a Santa's sack of gifts from Irish mythology. The Treasure Bag of the Finns. The fair boy stared at the bag, turning it over in his hands. It felt smooth to touch, fine leather, warm and welcoming to his fingers. He continued to stare at the pouch, its faded colours telling a story. But it was a tale he could not yet read. Oh, he knew the object, even though he had never seen it before. Here he was, finally, holding in his hands the ancient treasure bag stolen from his father, Kuvul, in his final hours as he was killed by his enemies in the battle, leaving his son a fugitive, leaving him a fugitive even before he was born. And so he'd been brought up in secret and now travelled from court to court, from adventure to adventure, always in hiding, always alone. Oh, there had been so many times he had been forced to fly only one step ahead of his enemies. Oh, and so many adventures. Yet the latest of these exploits had brought him the treasure bag. He had fallen into this adventure by accident. Oh, he had reddened the earth with the blood of a man threatening a woman he had met by chance. And the deed had brought him more than her thanks. For though he had not known it before, the man he had slain was the Grey One of Luarkar, the enemy who had dealt the first blow to his lost father, the man who had taken the bag as a bounty. But that was long ago. Most of the men of his father's war band were dead or very, very old. Uh, there were a few that hunted with old Krivnal. He, Fionn thought, would want to see the precious bag again. Fionn sat down and took another look at the treasure bag. It had seemed satisfyingly bulky and heavy when he'd first taken it from the corpse of his enemy. But now it felt oddly lighter, almost empty. Fionn grunted and attempted to open the bag, but the feathered drawstring was stiff, would not even loosen. The fair warrior felt irritated. He, he was tempted to take his knife to the recalcitrant leather. But then the old man, Krivnal, came to mind. For him, the bag would be a precious relic of the old days. And beside, he might know how to open it. Old Krivnal laughed a toothless grin of pleasure when the worn bag was placed into his gnarled hands. Oh, now, he laughed, I thought I would never see this again. Oh, did you know, lad, that this bag once belonged to the great Lou himself? Old Malanan gave it to him when he set out to help the heroes against the Fovera Balor. You know, he of the poison eye. Oh, yes, he gave his foster son treasure upon treasure to arm and adorn him. Oh, there was uh, Fregahawk Malanan's own sword, a, a radiant jeweled helmet, the, the armour of such significance, and the treasure bag, broke in Fionn, hoping to keep the old man's attention on the leather container balanced on his meagre lap. The elderly warrior was not to be so easily turned from his mind's eye reminiscence. Ah, yes, the treasure bag, he continued. Oh, that was no small gift. 
Had you heard it was made by Malanan himself, uh, from the skin of a crane? No. Aoife, the daughter of Delvoith, it was who fell in love with Ilbrek. Lucra, her rival for the man, would have none of it, and turning Aoife into a great crane bird, she forbade her land for two hundred years. When she finally died, Malanan made this fine bag from her skin and filled it with his most magical treasures. Crivenal was silent for a moment as he searched his memory, and Fionn waited impatiently. It was um, said to contain, Crivenal spoke slowly, uh, Malanan's shield, uh, his knife. The King of Scotland's shears, the King of Lockland's helmet, oh, and the bones of Arsel's swine, along with, oh yes, Govnu, the smith's girdle. Are they in, still inside the bag? Oh, we will have to find out, answered Crivenal, picking it up. But I couldn't open it. Ah, oh, well, replied the old warrior, smiling at the lad. It all depends on when you open it. Or you cannot expect a bag with such a lineage to be simple. This is the bag of Malalan, and it responds to the tides and times of the ever-changing waters. Oh, you'll have to look for it to open when the sea is full, in high tide. For at the ebb tide, it will always be empty. And is the tide full now? wondered Fionn, hopefully. The old warrior nodded, carefully lifted the bag and stretched it wide open at the mouth, and slowly he tipped, scattering its contents onto the green of the grass. Golden treasures lay there, gleaming in the watery sunlight, growing greater as they fell away from the constraint of the magical bag. The gifts of Malanan, the wonderful treasure bag of the Fianna. Right, so here we are, and in the last few days of the, what do they call it? The primary gifting, gifting period, period of yeah. the year. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, Xmas is nearly upon us, yes. whether we like it or not. <laughs> well, you know, whether it's uh, Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, you know, it all shares the same fundamental spirit, which, of course, is presents. <laughs> well, um, yeah, mind you, you quite like decorating as well, don't you? I do, but then I like decorating, you know, all through the year. So <laughs> it's just that you can get away with more. <laughs> well, I mean, last year I gave you a whole box. I gave you all my Christmas decorations because mm. I said they were far too bad taste yeah. so now you've got them exactly but uh, yeah it can be uh, hard to come up with new ideas um, this time of year especially if you're a little bit strapped um, and so we thought we'd look at some of the gifts that are given within Irish mythology and see whether that could inspire us at all <laughs> it's easy enough to find I suppose lists of magical weapons mm. they are you know your swords of light yeah your spears of destiny or mm. whatever yeah you know, there's loads stuff. of those aren't exactly there? yeah yeah and particularly the four treasures which includes you know the sword of Nuada, spear of Lou and be warned mm. recently somewhere on the internet and I can't remember oh, which gosh. page but I think it was probably one of the wiki pages mm. I did notice the fourth treasure was the chalice of Ardar yeah now that's a bit worrying isn't it <laughs> it is a little bit I, I think there's too much wrong with that to actually go into here so we'll try and do something about it there were all these names of these like mm. the sword of light the, yeah you were telling me that they're really quite recent names anyway I think they are I mean you know we were looking at as, as you may remember last year the the 
four treasures and in in the earliest sources like in Kaffmagetsurid they are simply you know the sword which Nuada had the spear which Lou had the cauldron the Dagda had and special but not and the great great foil. yeah yeah um and i think it's it's not even in the medieval sources that they become you know the cly of solish which is the great sword of light and and what have you um i think that it's actually it's more Celtic Twilight stuff. Really, that late? I think so. That's my feeling of Victorian. it. Victorian. Yeah. yeah, I think it is. You know, and there's so, there's so much of the things that you know everybody knows that we can blame on the bloody Victorians. <laughs> they really well, took a few liberties. Yeah, now, funny enough, just just a couple of weeks ago, mm. I was listening to a, a documentary on the television about the Bayer Tapestry. Mm. Apparently, the lot of what we know was because they went and restitched it <laughs> in Victorian times. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for instance, the whole thing about Harold getting an arrow in the eye. He stood there, so stately and grand, his eyes so full of arrow on his horse with his orc in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, apparently the arrow in the eye mm. is probably the restitching of the Victorians. Yeah, yeah. It's sometimes you wonder whether you know what you think you know <laughs> exactly. or whether you don't know it at all. Yeah. You know, but it is an interesting point how it's the later tales that mm. seem to have the most magic in them. Oh, yeah. Or magic as we know it. Yes, yeah. And I think particularly the kind of magical items. And again, we found this sort of comparing the kind of account of Maitura in The Children of Turin as compared to that in the, the Kathmagetsurids text. You yeah. know, in The Children of Turin, it's all about sort of magic, magical items. Magical items, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and yes, right, and Lou turns up with his fairy cavalcade. Yeah, yeah. All the treasures of Mananan, yeah. as was put in the story at the beginning. Exactly. And yet, in the earliest version, they are capable of moving and shaping yeah. the earth. Yeah. But it's all very natural, isn't exactly, it? It's yeah. not something that they have to go away and get somebody magic to do it. Yeah. It's just what people do. Yeah, and I mean even when we were looking at um, Mither's kind of labour at making the causeway over Mo and Lavraga, it was a labour. You know, it wasn't a question it and it was an extraordinary one, but it wasn't a question of wave your magic wand and then there's this twinkly fairy path, you know. Um it was very far from that, you know. But it was more more that sort of extraordinary rather than supernatural, I would say. Well, of course, particularly this time last year, um, we were looking at the story of the Dagda and uh, and his wondrous cauldron and looked at how this was this great gift of beer. Yeah, and, and that this, really this, got me. Yeah, out. it was really, uh, really exciting. And that sort of sense of a leather cauldron, you know, and what yeah. that could be. And, and could something that, that, that we talk about the Iron Age or mm. the Bronze Age, and it's this coming of the new metals. Yeah. Or, and yet the gift of beer. Yeah, that's and the thing. That and... may have created this whole idea of a magical cauldron yeah. that gives you everything you want. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That just resonates as exactly. something. You know, that was like a light bulb going yeah 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 do light bulbs go yeah <laughs> stick close to yeah. i'm sure some could <laughs> i've now got light bulbs going yeah, yeah. they're supposed to go team this year we've got a crane skin bag yes exactly we uh -huh. thought we'd look for some of the slightly more unusual gift ideas that could be found throughout irish mythology and some of them are maybe even unique we well think. the crane skin bag's pretty weird isn't oh it, it is yeah really i mean you start off with this uh, woman called Aoife mm. who falls in love with ilbrek yeah and uh, she's got a rival whose yes. name is what look it's lucra yeah lucra. she's the one of lucra basically from from down south around north Kerry. oh Limerick. yeah the outsider yeah yeah anyway she seems to be a little bit like Fumna. exactly yeah you, there's all these recognizable patterns through a lot of these yeah. stories so yeah it's another one of that sort of jealousy of women and then a transformation and uh, yeah so she turns Aoife into a crane 
but she's not allowed to touch dry land for what is it, two hundred years? Two hundred years. Yeah, yeah. So we got touches of the children of Lyra exactly, as well. Yeah. There's this background of a woman turns another woman into something else, yeah. and then won't let and, her touch land. Exactly. Yeah. And after that, she dies yeah. as a crane. Yeah. And um, her skin is made into this wonderful treasure bag by yeah. a man and an. Yeah. Why a crane skin bag though? Well, it's one of these curious things. We did sort of go looking for some of this about, you know, why are cranes kind of important and are they indeed important? And um, I think they we, they certainly had some significance. And especially when we looked at that word, Kurgunach, um, oh, which is, yeah, yeah, that's how it's usually translated. But that it seems to mean a crane wounder. You know, so you've got some significance mm. to cranes and magic. I don't know. It's it's a little yeah. bit obscure. It is definitely obscure, but there. I think we've concluded there is something there that we can't quite grasp. But certainly, that cranes were both popular pets, but also had some kind of important symbolism. Can you actually yeah. tan crane skin? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I I really should have asked some of my taxidermist friends. You know, especially the vegan taxidermist. I thought you were going to say taxi driver. <laughs> Well, some of them might do both. Um, but no, I don't know whether you can tan bird skin, but maybe that's part of the point, is that it's, again, a difficult thing to do. You know, they did like their difficult tasks, you know. Yeah, and maybe is... it's like having a, a glass hammer or something like that. Right. right, now we're going to tan leather with a glass hammer. <laughs> okay. Rather you than me. Mind you, there, there, there are sort of various... Um, there is evidence that animal skins were used to protect items of significance yeah and and there was a wonderful uh, example of that which they covered actually on the meet the ancestors mm. program um secrets of the dark earth i think is oh the, yeah the recent one yes and uh, they they were looking at now this is all in in britain so and they had a british uh, iron age burial of a woman and they reckoned that she was definitely a woman of status a woman of significance is this incredible burial where her whole chariot was there with her. Oh, it's a wonderful oh, story. superb. But one of the things that she had with her was this little pouch made out of otter skin. Um, and inside the pouch was a, a mirror. Um, but the interesting thing was that the, the skin had the fur on the inside mm -hmm. protecting the mirror. I suppose that would stop it scratching. Yeah, but there seemed to be, you know, a real kind of a special significance yeah to it you know um that it seemed to be more that you know otters as we know they're, they're also kind it's of important creature. yeah and it's a water animals. creature exactly again. they go in and out of water and then you've got the reflection of the mirror as well which is going to have similar resonances mm. so there seemed to be you know something very specific about having the otter skin around this mirror you know as it's it's really fascinating obviously we can't know for certain i was thinking but are cranes i don't think of them as seabirds mm. as such but I suppose they are estuary birds, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Well, so They're water birds, definitely. Exactly, but, you know, but... yeah. And I mean, you have to remember that in Ireland especially, you're never really far from the sea. And that, um, a lot of our coastline have uh, wide wetlands. Yeah, and it seems that herons and cranes have mm. the same significance. Yes, they, they are certainly related. Although, you know, again, uh, as Fergus Kelly discussed in early Irish farming about, you know, the, the pet bird, was it a heron or was it a crane? Um, and even though we don't have very many cranes now in Ireland, it does seem to be that it was the cranes that were the pets. Herons mm -hmm. um, are a little less... Um... Yeah, they're a bit more grumpy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which may be why they kicked out the cranes. But yeah, you do find them in kind of estuary wetlands. And um, of course, geography uh, yeah, yeah. was far more unstable back in the <clears throat> yeah, day. I, it's hard to quite... Um 
visualize mm. the way that the coastline was so different exactly yeah. and seasonally before yeah. before the marshes and mm. the estuaries were drained yeah yeah and land was reclaimed mm. you would have vast areas where if it was wet mm. um they would be underwater exactly yeah and the hill hill places or high mm. places were islands exactly yeah, yeah and it's hard to visualize today it is, when we yeah. have much well uh, people in england on the east coast may not agree but we have more <laughs> stable coastlines yes on yeah, yeah yeah um yeah um, and it is that also that thing whereby you have parts of land where they are wet for half the year and dry for the other half. I mean, we even have it here with river banks on the banks of the Shannon, you know, that you do have these parts of yeah, land. Tesco's have to be built on stilts. Exactly. That, that are, you know, they're sometimes underwater and they're sometimes on dry land. And at the coast, that's then going to have this sort of tidal uh, resonance as well mm. you know um so and, and shorelines are quite important aren't they i think they are yeah partly because of that kind of changeable landscape but also you do find things like um uh the battles happening on shorelines now i mean that could be boundary disputes as well as anything mm. else you know but they are strange in between places i mean that again we were talking about Fionn in the opening story and uh, the Battle of Ventry, which is part of the Fenian cycle. That's on Ventry Strand, Fionn yeah, yeah, yeah. down in, in Kerry. In the, the wonderful poem of the Calliach Boy Bear, the, the old woman of Bear, um, in that poem, she's always talking about the flood tide and the ebb tide and about how her lives have come and gone, you know, and that she's now mm. at the time of her ebb tide. So you get that symbolism of, of time and life and death and just as Shakespeare did the fact that it would so. also be connected with the moon and yes. the comings and goings of the moon as exactly, well. Exactly, yeah. So it's this strange, changeable mm, world mm, that yeah. would have a, a another world quality. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And as oh, we definitely. know, that this double quality yeah, of life. Yeah. Um, so I suppose in a way that if you've got what you've got is a bag of holding mm. that gives stuff back when the tide is in. <laughs> well, that, that's a much simpler way to say it. <laughs> Well, it's also a seasonal bag. And it is, of course. Yes. It's a perfect Christmas stocking. Exactly, yes. There's your Santi's sack. Oh, we've got there. We've managed to find a connection. We've linked it up. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, on the first day of Christmas, we take out of the crane skin bag, and no, we're not going to sing this time. Thankfully, yes. <laughs> I'm sure you're all grateful for that. It's the uh, diving helmet of Brian from the Children of Turin. Right, now this one was great because they were on this great long quest. Oh, You'll have to go back. Interminable yeah, quest. We, we talked about that <laughs> yeah. at length some yes. time ago. And uh, this is the penultimate quest, mm. the quest for the cooking spit. Oh, yes, that great, wondrous, magical item of a cooking spit. That for some reason, Lou wants. Well, of course. Well, he wants everything, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's already got everything. Yeah, right? yeah. What you give to the man who's got everything? Penicillin. <laughs> A cooking spit in this case. Thank you very much. Well, the brothers search for three months without news of the island where it's supposed to be on. And mm. then finally, Brian puts on his glass, light-emitting headdress. That's what it says. That's yeah. what it translates as. And walks for a fortnight either in the sea or under the sea yeah. until he finds the island uh, that he's looking for. And yeah. there in the court, he finds a group of women sewing and they've got the cookie spit with them. <laughs> and he says, ha ha, this is going to be easy. I just got to pinch it from a group of old women. And they go, ha ha ha. Look, if we chose you not to have it, you and your brothers together couldn't beat us, but go and have it anyway. And they give it to him. <laughs> bit disingenuous that you know <laughs> so like, um, yeah we could have killed you but dear, since we decided a, not to we such a brave such a nice little boy <laughs> and that that's the cooking spit so, yeah yeah i think that's one of the oddest things i've ever come across yeah because it really is a 
living hell I know, there's just no other way to imagine it. <laughs> well, I suppose it'd be useful if there was a wet winter. Uh, it would. Um, it's definitely cooler than an umbrella, I would say. Um, although it's it's curious that thing about whether he's walking on the bottom of the sea or on the top, on of, the the top of the sea. On the top of the sea, it's yeah. a bit unclear. But if it's on the top of the sea, it could be a little bit of extra evidence to go with something that uh, Professor Damien McManus of Trinity College discovered yeah. um, when he was doing the Bardic Poetry Project, and that was a poem that began, "The Messiah has come, and his name is Brian." Now, where have we heard that before? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So maybe he was wearing the wonderful light emitting <laughs> diving helmet and helmet. walking on the sea. So now we've got a circle Brian who <laughs> yep. wears a diving helmet. Exactly. Now I think there's an image. <laughs> now I wouldn't have minded having that when I went to the Great Barrier Reef. I'm really not very good at snorkeling, mm. you know. And I, I'll go for every flotation aid you can yeah. get. Now, um, I keep bumping into other swimmers. That's <laughs> the point. So maybe Brian's helmet would yeah. have been quite useful. Yeah, give you a bit more uh, peripheral vision. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just walking on water, that'll do. Yeah. Like the Jesus bird that I wrote about. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. That I saw up in, in Australia that really can walk on the water. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't wearing a diving helmet. No, it wasn't. So obviously not the true Messiah. <laughs> well, let's go on to the next gift. <laughs> let's. All right, so on the second day of Christmas, we take out of the bag Fergus McLeage's ear herbs. <laughs> Yes. Look, you're going to have to tell this story. <laughs> well, this, this is a, 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 another favourite yes. of mine. And uh, once again, I have to thank Professor Damien McManus for this one. Um, it's from the story extra Fergus O'Maclaida, uh, which should be better known than it is. And uh, Fergus McLeader, he's a king of Ulster, anyway. Yeah. And uh, one day after some very complicated uh, legal business, um, he goes off to the seaside with his charioteer. Yeah, exactly. You know, off for a little bit of R&R. And um, he goes and he has a nap on the beach. And while he's asleep, three loggerpan leprechauns uh, come out of the sea and uh, they pick him up and start carrying him off. Um, <laughs> although it does say very carefully that they first took his sword away. <laughs> very sensible. <laughs> exactly. But as soon as his toes hit the water, he kind of wakes up and realises what's happening and he sort of does a bit of a tussle and he goes and grabs and he gets one lugger pun in each hand and one against his chest and he goes ha ha I've caught you now you have to give me my three wishes and they say oh fair enough friend. and uh, what he asks for is the ability which uh, the lugger pun have to go underwater to go mm. around under the water and so they say well fair enough just stick these herbs in your ears <laughs> And we'll go for a wee stroll. At the bottom of the sea. Exactly. Uh, they do put a prohibition on him, of course, which is that he can do it anywhere except for that particular beach. When he does eventually go and do it in that beach. It's like Rutherga, isn't it? Yeah, it's, lo it's Loch Rutherga, yeah. yeah. So it's up where Brickroo yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, but when he does, he meets a sea monster that uh, expands itself up really big and then contracts itself down really small, like a smith's bellows. And when Fergus sees that, he goes, and the wind changes and then he stays like that and he has this great twisty face which is an awful blemish and he Can't eventually gets yeah well he, he gets insulted by his hairdresser and you know <laughs> this is a great it's a fantastic story but anyway yes ear herbs gets insulted by his hairdresser yeah. because his face has got to a exactly because yeah. he's seen a monster yeah oh, which sake. looks like a smith's bellows it's it's, an, it's a wonderful it's story it's a classic <laughs> <laughs> okay 
<laughs> so I suppose, well, we've got another gift for the water. The water. Oh, yeah. Two ways of walking around underwater yeah so this one lets you go swimming with leprechauns exactly it's it's much better than swimming with dolphins you know it's got to be on one of those lists of a hundred things to do before you die go swimming with leprechauns exactly yeah i mean they are they're sea creatures like dolphins clearly and so if they're sea creatures how did they end up as such total cobblers (laughs) (laughs) this is a very good question Well, you were talking about, you know, the the Welsh Llaw and his yeah. uh, association with uh, shoemaking. Which That's is... right. I mean, he gained that ability because he was trying to get his name and arms from his mother. Mm. So he's taken off to make shoes outside the uh, castle. And mm. his mother comes out and goes, oh, you know, nice shoes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have a pair. <laughs> and she sees him firing arrows. Oh, yeah. he, he manages to uh, pin a wren yes. to, to a tree through the sinew of its uh, leg or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, oh, that lion's got a steady hand. Yeah. He gets his name from it. Yes, yes. It's, it's Slow, slow Giffus, isn't it? Yes, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Slow yeah. It's just my pronunciation of Welsh is appalling, sorry. <laughs> um, it's a really interesting story, so mm. that's why you get this sort of shoemaker yeah, quality. Yeah. There is another version, though, of the Fergus MacLeja story, which is um, a later one. It's a sort of romance version. And uh, for a long time, this was the only version that was around. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that one, the Luggerpan actually give Fergus some shoes. So he gets some flippers off them and is able to go around under the sea again. So now we've got the leprechauns with their shoes. Exactly. Magic shoes. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of two for the price of one, this gift, yeah. I'd say. Well, it's nice to have a direct connection, really, mm. with the leprechauns. You know, I've got a pair of shoes. No, well, actually, they're not underwater shoes. They're exactly the opposite. And yeah. they weren't made by leprechauns. I got them in Turkey. <laughs> yeah, not made by Turkey. No, no, no. I got them in Turkey. Okay. Beautiful handmade leather shoes. Mm. The trouble is, and I was told, these will do you forever. Yeah. You'll be able to wear these all the time, wherever mm. you go. So I bring them back to Ireland and they're absolutely useless. Yeah, because it's let in water. Yeah, you can't exactly. walk anywhere. Yeah, yeah. fine in Turkey. Yeah, yeah. But useless here. So yeah. there you are. You see, they're no good on water at all. No. <laughs> I'm sure the Luggerpans ones were were much more kind of. They must have been I don't know neoprene or something like that. Um, but I, <laughs> this is ridiculous. But I, I I think it's really interesting though with the whole the ear herbs and going underwater. That's that's so like uh, J.K. Rowling and oh, her her the gillyweed. Her gillyweed. Yeah, sorry, it's not J.K. Rowling. It's J.K. Rowling like bowling and not Rowling like bowling. I'm sorry, J.K. Rowling's gillyweed. Yes, in well, uh, ear herbs much better. Yeah, they are. They are. They're they're probably more reversible as well. You know, not having to do the whole gill thing. But going on about the magic shoes, mm. I mean, it's a, it's a fairy tale motif that turns up over and over again. This yeah, idea of yeah. magic shoes, yeah, and sometimes they're really useful, mm. and sometimes they're really dangerous, they're really horrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just thinking of examples. Oh, you know, the twelve dancing princesses yes. who wear out their shoes every night, and yeah. then on the bad side, oh my goodness, that horrible Hans Anderson stories. Oh, sorry, yeah. of the uh, red the shoes. Red shoes, yeah. I think we'll leave that. I one. know, yeah. Pretty nasty. I'd, I'd Not go for something the... for Christmas. No, no. I'd be happier with seven league boots myself. So, or ear herbs. Yeah, ear herbs. Yeah. I'll so go we've got for that. two gifts in one: yeah. ear herbs and magic shoes. Yeah, that's, that's enough for the second gift. I I'd think. say so. Right. Let's go to the third gift. Mm-hmm. Oh, so for the third day of Christmas, we take out of the bag Mananon's cloak. Yeah, now, as we've already said, Malanan has a hell of a lot of treasures. Oh, he does. He's probably got more treasures at his, at his disposal than any other character in Irish yeah. mythology. I mean, he's got the cup that falls apart if held by anyone who tells a lie. Mm. I think it's three lies, actually. Mm. There's the boat that can travel across the sea, the one that 
brilliant. Wave sweeper, his yeah. Yeah, wave sweeper sounds mm. wonderful, doesn't it? Can move <laughs> unaided at a rapid rate and needs yeah. no crew. Yeah. Now that's pretty good. Mm. There's any amount of magical armour. Oh god, yeah. Seen All of them. That... The wearer. Yeah. But what I like best is Amvar, his mm. wonderful horse mm. that can um travel across land and sea equally at ease. Yes. Yeah. Lovely Amvar. Yeah. Beautiful. And we'll be meeting more of his treasures later, I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. You can't yeah. avoid that. I, I know, yeah. If you're talking about treasure, it's man and on, you gotta go and see. But it's cloak. Yeah. Now, it's it described as being this wonderful iridescent cloak of blue and green, mm. yet at uh, sunset it can have the shades of purple mm. evening. Beautiful description. Yeah. And, of course, it's got loads of powers. Yeah, yeah. It's really right up at the top of the D&D list. <laughs> um, I mean, it's has a power of invisibility mm. and that's really useful of course yeah uh, and he, you know, he put his cloak around it and people can just disappear yeah um if he puts his cloak around them mm. i should say mm. but the power we wanted to talk about this time <laughs> was that it said that if it's shaken between two people they can never meet again in the mortal world yes <laughs> So tell us about that yeah. story. Yeah, well, this comes from the Shergliga Cunchullan, which is the sick lying or the, the lovesickness of Cunchullan. Um, and in this, he's kind of tapped, if you like, by two other world women, by Fand and Liban. Um, and they're fighting over him. Well, they're, it's kind of curious because they've, they've sort of come to get him in order to take him back off to fairy um to to wed one of the women um but as part of this they show up and they beat, well, they beat him they up, beat the crap they? out of him yeah exactly with big <laughs> we sticks. really love you yeah bang, bang. exactly exactly and i think actually when uh ranka devries was writing about this because of course she looked at liban a lot yeah it comes yeah. into the loch stories um she pointed out that the, the term for laughing in irish tibbets um, actually comes from the ben, which is to hit or to strike. Oh, right. So there's this very curious kind of, or maybe it was actually even in um, Jacqueline Borch's uh, article on the laughter of the Morrigan, there's that connection between sort of laughter and, and and beating people up, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's this kind of curious thing. It's sort of mockery. It's sort of beating into well, don't we, submission. Don't you, we still use that term in a way in a colloquial don't beat me up over yeah it. yeah exactly but there, there's i think there's also a sense of submission i mean i know i came across a term which was meant to be um particularly obedience for a wife and that the root of the term again was from for ben it was from you know beating and so it was literally about being beaten into submission oh my goodness yeah lovely so you know that there's all those kind of qualities about it but any at any rate these Let's two get back to yeah the these two nice women sense. from the she uh Libon and fan um they come and beat up kukulin so that he'll fall in love with them for however that works <laughs> really good way of doing it yeah but when he goes off uh to to uh elope with them um of course ever emer his his wife actually uh, gets really annoyed and the the other title for this um tale is the only jealousy of emer um because she's very tolerant of all of Cuchulain's she is lovers. she's quite interesting mm. in a way because you, she is always in charge yeah yeah it's uh we we really can't get on to the whole story exactly Emer, but yeah. she's a very interesting she woman is. yeah yeah and whereas the others tend to go all right yeah she puts up with it, but on her own terms. Exactly, yeah. Which is quite unusual. Mm, mm. So this is the only time when she actually goes, no, enough I'm not, not going to stick up for this. And she kind of leads a force into the, the, the lands of, of Fan and Liban. Um, and in the end, they resolve that it, 
this shouldn't happen. And the way that they solve it is that they, they get on to Mananon, who is seen to be this kind of authority figure uh, in the We've seen world. him as a judge before. Mm -mm. And so in this, uh, what he does is he comes and he shakes his cloak between the fairy woman and Cúchalán so that they'll you know, forget that they'll be cured of their uh, infatuation. So, well, I suppose it could be useful then. I, I'd say so. Um, I was talking about this with my friend uh, Justin, and he wondered whether the cloak was big enough to wave in front of all the fans of One Direction. But all and, at once. Yeah, <laughs> cure them of their infatuation, which could be an interesting one. I suppose it would have made Romeo and Juliet a bit shorter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It would have solved that one pretty <laughs> it quick. It would have saved us from an awful lot of um, rom-coms. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, every time I say anything, come on the television, just wave the cloak yeah, and yeah. Alarm, problem solved, go away. Exactly. <laughs> So yeah, that's definitely one I'm putting on my list. <laughs> I suppose we should take the next gift out of the bag. Indeed. So for the fourth day of Christmas, we've got... A jar of magic mist. Okay, what can that do? <laughs> well, this is the faith fear, is the, the term that we find in the Irish stories for it. And uh, it, it crops up all over the place. You know, it is associated uh, with man and on. Uh, it's the kind of mist where which comes up and people get lost or it can enable you to kind of move without being seen, you know, to move invisibly. And very often in the stories where you've got, you know, a separation between like the two of the Dedanon and, and the rest of, you know, the men of Ireland, then it's the faith fear that kind of is between them. Or the fog of war. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The exactly. bit you can't see. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't it sometimes imagined as a, as a cloak of visibility? Yeah, it, it has been kind of glossed and sometimes translated that way you know I think that it's sometimes maybe a veil or a cloak um, which of course then is like the Marlon's cloak that we were just talking yeah. about and maybe why I think his mm. his mist that is invisible makes him yeah. invisible is then seen as a, a, a product of yeah. his magic cloak yes yeah and of course you know cloaks of invisibility are mm. uh, pretty uh, well known to us these days I suppose the most recent incarnation would probably be Harry Potter's yes, cloak. Yeah, but I suppose you, you could say that the faith fear, rather than being a, a cloak, you think of it as an area effect spell. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, so. it's, it's, uh, I like the magic mist. It's, yeah. It's, uh, and I suppose you've still got, it, what it is, is Scotch mist. Mm. And that's a term which is still used to describe something that's ephemeral mm. or something you can't explain or yeah. it just disappears. Yeah, yeah. Mind you, we know all about the Exactly, yeah. It's real. It's very real. This one is absolutely real and it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, where we are here, you've mm. got this, uh, we're in a Lakeland area. It's, yeah, very um, wet. Very wet. Yeah, lots of hills and valleys, yeah. And there are times, not uncommonly, when mm. the mist is low. Yeah, It yeah. rolls down off the hills mm. and the whole of the lowlands are hidden yeah. in this wonderful mist. Yeah. And all you can see is the hills mm. rising out of them. So I stand up at our, our, my own gate. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And looking down at the mist. Yes, yeah. And it's just magical. Mm. Every time you see it, it makes it you wonderful yeah yeah i did at one time i was driving over uh the the sally gap in wicklow and mm. it was sunset and it was uh around sort of september and uh you know so these were mountains and the valleys were full of mist and they were gold it was just golden mist filling all the valleys it was yeah. extraordinary and i've seen it here at sunset mm. or even at sunrise yeah. when the whole of the valley is a mm. beautiful rose color yeah yeah it is exquisite it is gorgeous yeah. and i love to watch it roll you can actually see it yeah. rolling down yeah or watch it appear mm. and then driving through it exactly yeah sometimes you just drive through these little pockets uh on the roads you know especially like when it's just getting dark and you just sort of it, it is like a sudden coldness yeah yeah and there you 
you are just for a few yards yeah. in this ball of mist. Yeah. It's not surprising that this should have been seen as another world thing. I mean, the Lolo mist would have really been useful. If, you know, we're talking about it as something beautiful, but of course, once you're in it, you're lost. Mm. And mm. it would have really hidden movements of warriors mm. and others from highland settlement areas. Yeah, yeah. You know, who knows what... Oh, I'm just thinking, I suppose I'm thinking of 13th Warrior and the warriors <laughs> moving in... Yes. Mist, but yeah, it's that quality. Yeah, of, you yeah. never know what's going to come out of it. Mm, exactly. It could have been quite um, useful for one side and risky for another. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Probably both at the same time. And yeah, another kind of way that we meet that in stories is that there's a number of tales where uh, people find themselves lost uh, and end up in mysterious circumstances or in the other world uh, through the falling of snow. Yeah, it's another form of the faith fear. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Like at the beginning of the, the story of the conception of Cúchulain and Cumbert Cúchulain, um, the people are out on a hunt and then the snow falls and they find themselves lost and that's when they meet the bird people and all that stuff. So, yeah, so it's kind of snow is another version almost of the faith fear. I think if you live in a city, mm. it's very hard to understand <laughs> how this mist or mm. snow can be quite so um, astonishing yeah. and also dangerous. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember, you know, you, up in north of Scotland, mm. where I used to spend quite a lot of time up in Cape Ness, and there, if the snow comes down, you take it seriously. Oh, yeah. A sudden blizzard. Mm. I remember being out one day just on the, well, it was just an after, it was a 2nd of January, nobody mm. does anything up there on the 2nd of January, <laughs> so we decided to go out for a walk, and mm. it was a lovely sunny afternoon, and we went for a walk around the lake, and the blizzard came down mm. in one instant. One minute you were staring out at a beautiful lake, and mm. the next minute you were crawling on your hands and knees, my hat flew into the lake, and we had to try and get ourselves back to the main road yeah. on our hands and knees, and in fact a, a farmer brought a jeep down mm. to come and see who'd parked car right. at the end of this car park, because he was just worried at any idiot yeah. that would have gone walking. <laughs> down yeah, to the lake yeah in conditions like this mm. and yet it was perfect when we started of course yeah. i had a story of a, of a, um, a postman mm. who died of exposure while walking down a drive oh because he got lost in the southern snow jesus and we yeah. were talking not about you know we're yeah, talking about yeah. the sort of drive i've got here which yeah. is a quarter about, of a mile yeah. but nevertheless it was Gosh. that bad and this yeah. is i believe is a true story mm, mm, mm. so yeah, yeah it. it's yeah. dangerous stuff yep but of course, you know, if you could just keep the faith fear in a handy jar, you know, then it could be very useful for when, you know, the in-laws pop round or unwanted visitors of any kind just open, open up the, the jar, jar and woof. Exactly. You're yeah. out. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll keep that version of it. Yeah, definitely. So on the fifth day of Christmas, we get five gold mm. rings. No, no, we said we weren't going to do the singing, <laughs> please. And anyway, this is a different kind of rings. Okay. This is another one of Mananon's many, many, many treasures. And this is Cormac's apple branch. Oh, uh, yes. His ringing apple branch. Now, this comes from stories about Cormac McArts. And um, these are generally placed within the cycle of kings. Um, but I think that the stories concerning Cormac are mm. maybe the most interesting of these. Um, he kind of is the idealised king and, uh, you know, it relates to the text known as Tegeska Cormac, which is the teachings or the wisdoms of, of, of Cormac, which is about kind of how to be a king. Mm. Um, and so Cormac's stories tend to have that sort of that mythical element to them he's a he's a, a sort of best practice exactly yeah yeah Example he's the best practice he's the exemplar or yeah, you know yeah. the, the the ideal of what a king ought to be 
Um, so, the story yeah. with the apple branch mm. is one of my favourites. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It, it's, it's a story I often tell. It starts with Cormac's headache <laughs> because he wants to be a good king. Yeah. And the trouble is it's so tough. Everybody's always at him all the time, mm. trying to solve problems. Mm. And of course, it's his job to judge, as yeah. we've seen time after time. Exactly. And he just goes, it's too much. Mm. And one day when, you know, everybody's having a go at him at once, he decides to go out or sneak out mm. for a walk up on the plain of Meath. And mm. There he sees coming towards him this wonderful man in this iridescent cloak of mm -hmm. blue and green and uh, another implication is that the man is not walking in the grass but mm. over the top of the grass yeah. and as he comes up to Cormac he tells him look Cormac I think I can solve your headache yeah and he hands him this wonderful apple branch with leaves of silver and apples of gold and mm. as he shakes it this glorious noise mm. makes his headache disappear and he just feels everything is right in the yeah. world now he's offered the gift mm -hmm. and he's so busy thinking what he can do with this yeah. so that it'll solve all his problems and he doesn't notice that uh, Malanan says uh, um, in return I will mm. come to ask you for three boons yes yeah well, it's a great way it solves all his problems, mm. you know. Uh, every time anyone comes to him to solve a problem, he just shakes the apple branch. Nobody cares about the problem anymore. <laughs> it doesn't solve anything. It just settles everything. Yeah. Shuts everybody up above yeah, all. exactly. And, of course, during one feast, eventually, Malanan turns up. The first time he takes his son, the second mm. time he takes his daughter into fosterage. Not, yes. not, uh, yeah, not abduction. <laughs> not abduction. <laughs> yeah. He says, I'll take your children into fosterage. Mm. And Cormac goes, well, hang on, we haven't talked about this. Yeah. He's gone. But the third time is a a little bit more mm. problematical he, he, he turns up and goes well how about i take your wife to the land of promise mm. and Gormack's not too happy about this but she's gone yeah it's like his cloak of invisibility mm. all the magic mist exactly yeah which just takes him away mm. and this time Cormac throws down the apple branch and says no no i'm not going to stop thinking about mm. this i'm going to go and deal with the problem yeah. so off he goes mm -hmm. Anvar. Yeah. This wonderful white horse meets mm. him at the as he gets the sea and can walk no further, mm -hmm. and he's carried through the night into Malanan's land. It's a long, complicated oh, yes. story in which many, many stories are told. Exactly, and but many eventually... wonders are seen. Oh yes, I mean this is the land of promise. Yeah. What do you expect? But mm. it's all it's allegorical. It's mm. got this very allegorical quality. Yes. everything means something. Exactly. Yeah. And eventually he's given this cup of truth, mm. um, which we talked about before. Yes, yeah, it's the one that falls to bits if, if it's lied over, um, and the only way to put it back together is, is to, to tell, tell the truth. truth. Yeah, And he's also reunited with his family, mm -hmm. who have who are not at all affected by their trip. Yeah. And uh, they will go back, and uh, therefore Cormac now has the ability mm. to become the greatest judge yes. in all Irish history. Yes, yeah. And of course, he's often referred to as the Irish Solomon, you know, which is a, a, a term that the, the Irish scholars themselves used, you know, that they, they drew a lot of parallels between Cormac and. Uh, you know, biblical events. Yeah, but you know, every so often I think, cup of truth? Yeah, I'd rather have the quick fix. <laughs> exactly, Give yeah. Me the apple branch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much handier, all right. I yeah. just think of what you could do with it. Yeah. I love telling this story with children, and mm. you go, oh, a teacher gives you homework, mm. apple branch, yeah. Oh, take the week off. Yeah. You know, dad won't give you pocket money. <laughs> I can think of hundreds yeah. of uses for this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I keep wondering whether it would work over the phone. <laughs> Somebody rings you up yabbering about something or... Oh, your, your Windows security <laughs> is not up to date. <laughs> oh, yeah. so... I, I just think nobody in the world could do it. We'd all be waving apple branches at each other like mad. Yeah, and nothing would ever get done. <laughs> and so that's why, of course, it's pointing out that mm. you can't go for the quick fix. Yeah. 
you yeah. have to actually learn discrimination truth and false. yeah yeah you know you have to gain the art of yeah. discrimination yeah but it's a great story it is it's a great it story is. i want the apple brush yeah well we did think though that we had found kind of versions of cormac's apple branch in other stories and yeah, it's very interesting isn't it yeah i mean particularly i think in brick crew i think we might have come across something like it in the children's the story. story yeah there is something yeah there. and it's it's this description of sort of a stick of authority i think in in um Brick Rue, Alil has one and by his throne. And does have one? Yeah, it's quite possible. I think they both do, you know, that they have this stick of authority, you know. And I you... think it's Concover's one, which is described mm. as um, going up to the hips of the house or yes. something. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, you know, at first you kind of look at this and you go, well, is this just, you know, big man, have big stick? No, it's fixed and it's made of silver. Mm. There's definitely an implication that it, he waves it or pulls it mm. and it makes a sound which yes. will, everybody will pay attention exactly yeah yeah and it seems to be um almost like a, a, a working version of the apple branch yeah it's uh, my feeling is that um the apple branch is the kind of the original version like 1.0 but the, the sort of the idealized version and that these sort of sticks of authority or whatever um are just they're kind of representing Cormac's original apple branch you know yeah yeah that, that it gains the attention mm. of the court yes it's to draw draw your attention mm. to this is important yes and now yeah but you're going to sort out truth yeah but it's a great idea isn't it it know, is this apple branch I love it yeah uh, I think that's about enough I don't know okay so how about a gift for the sixth day straight out of the crane skin bag especially yep. for you just what you wanted here you are as older a ball of wool another ball of wool I, i've got a few of these at home already <laughs> yeah well, you're an excellent knitter it's also can knit the most incredible things uh, it's really really good but i can't knit for toffee mm. i can do space age knitting <laughs> just full of black holes yeah. oh, <laughs> sorry anyway as you might expect this is not an ordinary ball of wool that we have here this one is extra sticky Right, go on then, tell us where we're going to find a ball of sticky wool in Irish mythology. Well, for this one, we're going to look at Imran Bran, um, or the Voyage of Bran. Um, and this is one of the Imram or Imram stories, yeah. um, which generally... Sort of travel stories. Well, they're sea voyages. Yeah. Um, again, D uh, Damien McManus's, um analysis of the term Imram is actually Imrov, which is rowing around. Okay. You know, so... So here they are, rowing around yeah. until they find something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that that's what the Imram are, are about. But they generally have, you know, sort of very curious and interesting islands. And, you know, indeed, a version version of an Imrov that, that people might be familiar with is the voyage of St. Brendan the Navigator, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that kind of classes in a way as Imrov. But uh, Imrov Bran is, uh, it's back, I think, to the 8th or 9th quite an century. One, it it yeah. is, yeah, yeah, and, and a very interesting uh, story altogether. Doesn't this tale begin with the the finding of Mananan's apple branch again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he finds it on the shore, doesn't mm. he? And um, it sends him into a sort of trance and yeah. then he takes it home with him. Yeah. So um, it's the same apple branch. Yes, it is. And But what it allows is a visit from this other world woman um, who comes and tells him of, you know, the wonders and beauties of Evwen Avloch, the, the uh, apple gathering or the, the, the island of apples. So it might not actually be when I said the same apple branch. It's an apple branch from the same place. He, exactly. He's got yeah. loads of them. Yeah, I, th I think there's, you know, you can get more than one branch. You can pick off. anyone yeah. you like. <laughs> but it is, it's the same story motif, definitely. Um, but the, uh, 
the other world woman is addressing Bran in poetry and in fact there's one version of this story which is almost entirely um, just poetic dialogue um, and it's full of all that description a bit like we met at the uh, with Mither's poem of Bay Finn will you come with me um, all yeah. that stuff about you know an, a, a land where people don't get sick and where they're happy all the time yeah. and there's always enough to eat and yeah, the Isle you know. of the Young the mm. Isle of Apples the Isle of Promise exactly you know, Tin and O yeah it's very much that it's it's the other world we've met so often it's and it. particularly Nera yeah yeah and um, the story of Aiden and Mither yeah what's interesting was is that it's moved as we said before from mm. under the ground as it was in uh, in Nera Nera yeah to this isle off yeah. the coast again yeah over the sea yeah um and of course so the this woman has essentially proffered an invitation to bran and uh, he accepts um off he goes <laughs> yeah off he goes he gets together a crew of course and uh and a boat to try and find uh this Boats island yeah generally if you're going over the sea unless you've, you've got, got a diving helmet or the ear herbs neither of which bran had to hand <laughs> or wave sweeper yeah that's true that's true but or uh, ever <laughs> So if you don't have any of those very handy items, you have to get you're, a boat. You're gonna need a boat. <laughs> um, and he he gets a crew together, and off they go to try and find this island. Uh, the first island they come to is actually not uh, the island of, of women, which is their ultimate destination. Um, but it's very similar to an island that also appears in the Imram of Mueldin, um, mm -hmm. who is, uh, he goes to loads and loads of islands. But there's this island where everyone, all the inhabitants are laughing and sort of falling around and giggling and, you know... Sort of maniacal, yeah, cackling or yeah. giggling, sort for of no stupefied, reason. yeah, yeah. Basically, it's a it's a permanent fit of the giggles, yeah, laughing you know? for the sake of laughing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in uh, in the oh, other Imran, schoolgirls, do I know? I know. <laughs> in, in the other Imran of uh, Wailden, they lose one of their crew members there permanently. There's nothing they can do to rescue him. No, in... once you once you've gone into that state, there's no, no getting better. Well, Bran finds a way around it because he manages to send a couple of his crewmen on shore but they have to hold their breath in order to rescue their crewmate <laughs> so you, you know. can't breathe in the plasma yeah. of laughter exactly exactly yes it must be you know built on some natural source of nitrous oxide i suppose i know that or some awful sitcoms that... oh god okay. <laughs> oh laughter can't track. laughter oh, yeah laughter yeah track. yeah oh my Move on! Yeah, move yeah, on. yeah. That's definitely and we get hell. Sticky for the wall. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when they get their crewmen back, anyway, off they trot again over the waves, and they do come to the island of, of women. And uh, Bran sees the woman who had uh, come and invited him on the shore, and she throws this ball of wool out to him out in the sea and uh, he puts up his hand and catches it and there it sticks she just pulls think, on the end and, and yeah pulls the boat in exactly oh, yeah that's great that's that. very handy yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't you, yeah. Oh, that's that's an odd idea very boop. yeah Woof. yeah but uh, when they land on the island there are conveniently exactly the same number of women on the island as there are men in the boat and they all pair off nice and neatly. Um, Bran, of course, going with this queen of the island who says that, you know, she's a widow mm. and has been alone with her many daughters. And It's a familiar story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but a lot more positive than, say, take the Odysseus yeah. version where it's encountered with either the sirens or yeah. even worse with Cersei. Yes, yeah. Um, but uh, the trouble is being an Irish story, 
miracles. Mm. They've got this traditional wibbly wobbly timey wimey problem. Oh, naturally, yes. <laughs> because they can't return to Ireland, can they? Well, no. Um, for as long as they stay there, they think that they've had, you know, again, a year. A year, yeah, yeah. In this state of bliss. But one of their number becomes homesick. That's always the dangerous thing. Yeah. Is going, mm, I want to go and see my mummy. Um, and this is Nechton is, is the, the yeah. crew member who, who starts whinging. <laughs> So they pack a boat and yeah. take him home. Yeah. But uh, because of the wibbly wobbly timey wime, um, you know, they start asking for Nechton's people and they go, oh, no, no one of that name around here. But many, many years ago in our legends, there was somebody who went off and Nechton doesn't believe that it can have been that long. So he leaps out the boat and of course the instant he touches the soil of Ireland he just crumbles into ashes and bones and so yeah. on. I mean this will be familiar to anybody who knows the well-known story of uh, Neve and Oisin yeah. and the Tin and Oak story. Exactly. It's not one of my favourites. No it's it's not a nice one but you see in this one at least um, Bran and the rest of the crew realise what's happened and say, oh, we're not going to go ashore then. We're not going to go, go <laughs> hunting for St. Patrick or something. Yeah. Idiotic. Let's go back to where we were and have some fun. Exactly. But before they disappear off, they do tell their, the story, the entire story of their adventures. And what's more, um, Bran sort of inscribes it into a stick of Owen and uh, leaves that with the, the people of Ireland. And then off they go and say, right, we're back to go and you know, live for eternity in bliss. Why not? Yeah, see ya. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the sticky ball of wool? Pull us in again. Yeah, oh, yeah. That puts knitting off the back burner, doesn't it? <laughs> do you know, maybe we ought to do, we ought to plan a whole podcast on the Imrama. Oh, at least. I mean, the, there are some very interesting ones. I heard a fantastic paper recently, uh, which was looking at another of the Imrama, the Mildern, which we've mentioned already, and uh, a very interesting and, and quite new perspective on how to read it. But I think we'd better keep it for another day. Yeah, have your ball of wool back. Yeah. <laughs> you could knit some sticky gloves. Or perhaps even sticky socks, and then you could walk up the walls. So. Oh, let's move on. <laughs> so while we're still talking about Imrama, mm. what about Maldun's guard cap for the seventh day gift from the bag? Oh, yes. Now, this is as we were just mentioning there, the Imram Korog Mwaildun, or Mwaildun, um, which is maybe one of the most interesting, I think, of the Imram stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's something like, there's definitely more than 20 islands described, as well as many other weird and very, frankly, bizarre things. This is the full-on story. Yeah, this yeah. really is, you know, it's and it's got quite a long lead-in, which is, you know, all about uh, how Mwaildun thinks that he's the son of the king and queen, but he's actually the son of a nun who was raped, and he's going to go and find, you know, he's on a quest to kill whoever's killed his father, and, you know, the usual kind of complicated it's, epic setup. It sounds later, but isn't it still quite an old? Oh yeah, text? it is still an old Irish story, all right. Yeah, yeah. It just and and it does share um, features with the uh, Imran Bran, but uh, it just has so much more detail to it. Um, yeah, and it doesn't have a story. I mean, Bran doesn't have a story about a god cat. No, no, it doesn't. So it, you know, it's on one of the islands, yeah. isn't it? They the, the, the land on this island. It's a great big fort of some kind, mm. but it has tall white pillars. Yeah, yeah. And all they see is this little pussy cat leaping, meow, 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 from one pillar to another. Mm. I saw cats like that at Ephesus and they oh, were yeah. all over the place. Yeah, they jump from pillar to another. So I think I've actually seen this. <laughs> but uh, the the 
what's the other thing is that you don't find in Ephesus is loads mm. of gold, mm. wonderful gold artifacts lying all over mm. the ground. There's talks and necklaces and goodness knows what. Mm. And of course, the crew are really kind of impressed with this. Yeah, I don't think they're particularly impressed with the cat. No, um, but they are impressed with the jewelry yeah. and gold stuff that's mm. lying around. Mm. And uh, they also see a feast. Mm. So they go and have the feast, and Maldon tells them it's quite safe to have, to have the food, mm. but. Um, and they eat and drink and sleep, and yeah. then uh, one of the foster brothers, oh, one of Melvin's yeah. foster brothers, says, do you think I could just have one of those little gold necklaces? I mean, they wouldn't miss it. Mm. But Melvin says, no way. Yeah. You don't touch, eat and drink food, but mm. you're not allowed to take anything away from the island. But he puts one in his pockets. Mm. One of the foster brothers puts one in his pockets. And they leave the island. Mm. But the cat follows him. Mm. Follows them. Now they think once they're off the island they're going to be safe. Mm. The cat takes one great leap like a fiery arrow and burns the foster brother to ashes. Yeah, yeah. And then the cat goes back and starts sleeping around the pillars again. Yes, yeah. All cute like cats are. <laughs> and it says Maldun clears up the ashes and casts them on the shore. Yes, that's yeah. it. So, you know, there's no getting him back. No, no, definitely so not. So this cat goes from a nice little pussy cat mm -hmm. to being some sort of terrible fiery monster in one yeah. go. Yeah, exactly. And then back to being the nice pussy cat again. It's a good story. Though. It is. I love it. And a lot of the Wilden Islands are like this. They, they have something that is just completely out of the blue and, and unexpected. Mind you, most cats are like that as yeah, well. They exactly. always have things out of the blue. <laughs> exactly. The other story really, really reminds me of. Mm. And I just feel that there has to be some connection with this Jason and the Argonauts. Mm. It, you've got this um, same story of uh, the island, they're mm. not allowed, they can eat and drink, yeah. but they're not allowed to take anything away from it. Yeah. And then they're chased by Talos, mm. the great big brass man of man of bronze. Mm. Not a pussycat. No, no, not a pussycat, but yeah. But sim still connected with fire. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we have seen before how there are definitely classical influences on a number of Irish stories, but we do find other sort of cats acting as guardians in, in Irish stories. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. You know, where other nationalities have dragons, mm. we have cats. We have cats, yeah. They seem to guard treasure. Yes, yeah. There's... And if you dare cross them, mm. they'll stop being nice little pussy cats yeah. and turn into fiery monsters. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Or the, the, the awful beastie cats that came out of the cave of Cruachan. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're great ones. And then there's also the one up at the Labby Rock, um, which is yeah, supposed it to... It guards treasure. Guard treasure, yeah. And uh, if you take the treasure, it mm. will attack you. Exactly, But yeah. again, there's always this implication it will attack you with fire. Yeah, Which yeah. is why we think they're like dragons. Exactly, yeah. And also the fact that they like caves and guard your treasure and all that kind of thing so yeah you know that's that I, I think that the role of cats in, in our story is very interesting guard cats yes guard yeah. cats yeah I, I don't know about a guard cat would you like a guide cat no i don't <laughs> think i would i mean i i share my house with cats but uh i think that in fact it was les barker who put it best oh yeah no, his... i got a verse from the poem guide cats for the yeah. mind i'll try and read it <laughs> Guide cats, the word futile springs to mind, a mission impossible. Yes, that's the attempt to harness for mankind the intelligence of cats. You've made a basic error. Now let me expound. The master servant thing's okay, but no, not that way round. We don't do the faithful subject. We don't do the daily grind. You never should have attempted it. Guide cats for the blind. 
<laughs> no, I think anyway, if you had a guy cat, I think um, Isaac would have been a bit fed up. Well, it, he would have been impossible anyway, you know, but um, I, I will go and chase it up. But uh, when I got Les Barker's Guide Cats for the Blind, along with lots of his other oh, yeah, stuff on funny. CD, um, they were selling them on, on CD to raise money for assistive technology for blind people, which oh, is well. the kind of stuff that I have to use all the time. So we'll put a connection. Exactly. Put, put a, a link, link there, yeah, yeah. you know, and that'll be your sort of another gift. It just idea. makes me love guide cats. Yeah. So we'll leave that one. Yeah. Let's leave the guide cats alone. <laughs> well, for the eighth day uh, crane skin bag gift, why don't we have the Morrigan's horse. What, the one-legged horse? Yeah, the mono horse. <laughs> this one is just so weird. I just want to see what it looks like. I mean, we met it at the end of, or the late section of yeah. the story of Nera, and in an account that comes from the Toynbow Regevna, where the Morrigan is sort of appears and she's driving this weird horse that's leading a chariot. Can you yeah, well, give well, us a description there? Uh, yeah, I'll go back to the original description. Yeah. It's just too strange. Yeah. Then they saw the chariot come before them and one chestnut horse in it. The horse was one-footed and the pole of the chariot passed through the body of the horse till a wedge went through it to make it fast on its forehead. A red woman was in the chariot and a red mantle about her. She had two red eyebrows and a mantle fell behind it till it struck upon the ground behind her. Yeah. That is pretty weird. It is. And yeah, I just want to figure out how it works. And... I can't quite get my head around it. Uh, batteries? Well, I, I think this might be a case of batteries not included, I'm afraid. Ooh, maybe it's an Iron Age motorbike. Oh, well, maybe. I don't know. When, when those torres over the Moen Lovriga are in total gridlock, maybe you could skim through the traffic on monohorse. So if you were looking for an unusual pet, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I came upon a modern version that reminds me a little bit of this. Mm. It was a bicycle that it was dressed up to make it look like a horse. <laughs> it's pretty weird. Maybe that comes in red. Yeah. yeah oh, I don't maybe. know. I think that's enough of that. <laughs> that is just too weird. It is rather, yeah. If you absolutely positively have to have weapons including in this gifting process, mm -mm. what about the next two gifts? Yeah. So for our ninth day gift from the bag, we have Orna, who is Ogma's sword. Didn't you find that lying around at the Battle of Moitura or during the battle? Yeah, I think it was sort of part of the booty, really, was that he found this sword, Orna, and uh, he cleaned it. And uh, then the sword promptly told him everything it had done. Okay. So uh, this was quite, it was almost like a little side note. We didn't really cover it, actually, when we were talking about the whole story of Moitura. We touched on it, I think. We touched on, we, we talked about Ogma quite we a bit. We did, kind yeah. kind of decided that he was really a, a double of... A further tagged, uh, really. yeah, yeah. But, but Orna is one of the things he does. It's his own stuff, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And that does seem, you know, very distinctive. And uh, this does seem to be, if you like, an origin for a lot of the, the references to talking swords. You know, once we went looking for a well, they really aren't any yeah, others, are they? Exactly, it is yeah. Orna. Yeah, this is the original. So it is, you know, something quite special. And, you know, again, if it's going to have to be a weapon, at least you'd have a chat with this one, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, I think there's something more remarkable going yeah. on, you see. I, I, it, this is a voice-activated weapon that mm. will recount <laughs> everything it's done. Yeah. Um, so, in other words, this is supporting your memory, maybe like a sort of Iron Age iPad, yeah. iPod or something. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's better than that. Mm. I think what we're looking at is this gift represents Iron Age augmented reality. <laughs> now, 
Don't ask me, I don't know much about augmented reality, just what I hear, but mm. I did hear a programme on Irish Radio about um, a, a project where people had been recording absolutely every experience they had and mm. every conversation they were. Apparently it happens automatically. Yeah. I haven't a clue. How, don't ask me. <laughs> but uh, And then it's all available on the crowd, cloud, mm. a bit like um, an external hard drive. Yeah, yeah. Now, I have a feeling that what we've got here is that Orna is the Iron Age prototype. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of... <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's that kind of strange thing where your memories are becoming external, you know, it's it's no longer, you can't hide inside your own memory of an event, you know, especially not if you've got a sword that's going to contradict you anytime you try to oh, give well, yourself you a bit I of extra killed, credit. I killed him and him and him and then yeah. I did this and then I, 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 oh, it was amazing. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't even you that got him. Yeah. <laughs> no, you dropped me, remember? It was right <laughs> at the beginning when you slipped in the blood. Yeah, that's right. When you were hiding behind that tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, do you remember? Do you remember? <laughs> no, you've forgotten? I'll remind you. Yeah, so maybe not a gift for everyone, <laughs> this one. But, you know, come to think of it, I suppose that's what the feeler used to do. They yeah. functioned as external hard drives. Yeah, we talked... poets, yeah. Yeah, we did talk about this before and about the sort of function of poetry as this sort of random access memory, you know. So maybe where the filler is your main hard drive, uh, maybe this Orna's like a thumb drive. So... Okay. <laughs> getting weirder and weirder uh, yeah. and what I've discovered talking about this is I really know nothing about augmented reality <laughs> well I think that the point is we're all making it up as we go along isn't yeah, it? it reminds me of when we were first trying to explain what the internet was going to be oh yeah and, uh, trying to go well this replace books and yeah looking at it from not more than around 15 or 18 mm. years or 20 years yeah, on yeah you're going I thought that. Yeah yeah so I take it in 10 years time we'll all have augmented hard drive mm. realities yeah and um, I think I'd rather have the sword. <laughs> <laughs> At least, it, like I say, you can have a chat with it. It's shiny. It looks good well, over I your mouthpiece. I've to my phone. <laughs> that talks back. <laughs> and the second weapon and the tenth day gift from the treasure bag is... Ochen the Moaning Shield. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to be a shield. No, I don't like this at all. <laughs> exactly. Not quite like that. Well, no. Um, this was a shield that belonged to Conchover Macnessa, who was obviously the the legendary Ulster King. Um, but it, we meet it in a story where it's being carried by his son, Fiacra. And uh, the shield would kind of give a moan, and uh, one of the terms for that in Irish is ochen, and you, that's where you get the sort of mm. ochon or ochain or, you know, that kind of... The moaner. Yeah. Alas! Oh, alack! You know, yeah. So any time its bearer was in danger, the shield would moan. But it also had the power to call upon the, the forces of the three great waves of Ireland. And these are the ton... The permanent wave? The semi-permanent wave? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're more like tidal waves actually yeah, which, yeah, which can be pretty permanent if you yeah. think about it so those were the the ton cleana which is cleana's mm -hmm. wave uh, then there's the ton tuitha which is the wave of the north and ton rothriga which is our old friend loch rothriga again mm -hmm. um and these were kind of like i suppose they're waves in the sense of the kind of waves that surfers look for except a little bit more dangerous, I think. Sounds a bit like, you remember in, in Lord of the Rings, mm. talking to you of the of glowing glowing call calls up the wave at the Ford of Bruno. Yes, the yeah. Woomph and everything's swept away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is that kind of idea, isn't it? It's just sort of calling up the, the power of the sea to sweep things away. So, 
this what we've got here is some sort of personal alarm system <laughs> so if someone annoys you yeah. you call up a tidal wave on their head yes and if you're really angry then there's, there's three that you can call on right but i don't know about the possibility of destroying an entire community just because someone's pinched your phone yeah well, do we really want to let this out of the bag i'm not so sure about that but yeah then right we weren't sure on weapons in the first place were we just explain to it no i just like the idea of a moaning shield yeah but if it's going to do that i think we'll leave it alone yeah i suppose after those weapons mm. Especially after practically rejecting the last one. <laughs> we should go for something a bit more Christmassy. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, for the 11th day gift, well, how about a bowl of nuts? Mm -hmm. uh, hazelnuts, of course. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, the hazelnut is very much the Swiss army knife of <laughs> Irish mythology. I bet nobody's a... done that before. Describe the <laughs> hazelnut as a Swiss army well, knife. Well, it is. It's a real multi-tool. I mean, mm. it can turn into a salmon. It can turn into a load of lovely bubbles. It can even be used as a method for getting rid of unwanted guests. Okay, I can see where you get the salmon from. Go and explain. <laughs> Well, with the salmon, the best-known version, of course, of, of Fionn and uh, his source of wisdom is to do with the salmon of knowledge, the Bradzon Fassa. Yeah. Um, and That's the, probably the most, the best-known story in Irish mythology. Yes, yeah. And, you know, that's no, no bad thing. But, of course, the origin of that salmon is, well, there's a few of them. A few. One yeah. of them's in Boyle. Exactly, where they, they start off in a well. But the way that the salmon get their knowledge is by eating the hazelnuts that fall from around the well and of course we met that uh, when we were looking at the story of Shin. very first one right at the beginning and the nine great hazel trees yes. which are around the well dropping their nuts yes into the water and yeah uh, and of course the catkins yeah and the leaves and the nuts are always on the on those hazel trees yeah. all at once all at the same time yes and they're, they're described as culver musical hazels but um there you are now we've got musical hazels yeah how christmasy can you get? exactly but uh there is this kind of description of how the salmon eat the nuts and that they produce this purple juice from the nuts but then that juice kind of flows floats to the surface in these lovely bubbles yeah. and it's those that Shannon wants to go and gaze at perpetually course, we said in the first podcast episode yeah um that that well maybe you know it, it's been shown to be all around the country mm. but possibly the original version was under the sea yes yeah right back to the beginning exactly and that's where we have that uh, description of Cunla's well or uh, gets known as Lynn failure which is well of generous women yeah yeah um which is because Shinnan went there, of course, you know. I'm now seeing, you see, these hazelnuts as, you know, the first Christmas crackers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, yeah. you pull them open, they're musical, they yeah. explode into lovely bubbles and yeah. lots of other gifts. Yes, and, and of course, uh, when the hazel appears as one of the letters of the Ogham alphabet, one of its uh, kennings is this friend of cracking. You know, a friend of nutshells. Told you, Christmas so it's crackers. Part of it, yeah, yeah. Here's so now we've got crackers. our Christmas crackers as well. Mind you, that doesn't explain the method of keeping people away. Uh, no, it doesn't. That is back to our dear friend Wildoon and his uh, voyage around the place. And so one of the later islands they come to, um, they're sort of coming near and, and looking at landing on the island, and uh, they see a woman who's on the island, and she sees them, and she seems to sort of recognise them, but instead of you know greeting them and saying, "Oh yes, hello, come ashore, and I'll give you intoxicating drink." Uh, she picks up a load of hazelnuts and chucks them at uh, the, the guys in the boat to get rid of them. She, go away, yeah, go away, go away, Get go off away. my land, basically, <laughs> with those hazelnuts. So, you know, they really are, they've got lots of uses. There was a nut lament, come to think there of it. There was I'd indeed, forgotten yeah. About that, just in, till we were talking. Yeah, in Nukva, where uh, Oingus has lost um, the, the 
love that he was pursuing and she's been brought into this hill into this tumulus at Nauth and yeah so he walks around the tumulus and spreads nuts on the ground as a lament for her. I mean to be a little more serious yeah. other than Christmas crackers they're really really important. Oh they are they? Yeah. and they're always connected with wisdom and yes. knowledge aren't they? Yeah and especially through those the the process with the salmon and you know from Shinnan going to get her her poetic inspiration mm -hmm. which is that one gift that she lacks to Fionnan and Finnegus uh you know catching all the to salmon do with poetry it's all about po poetic inspiration yeah and yeah they bring you this this ability to mm. uh speak about yeah. the world around you mm, mm. but it's just struck me that while we were thinking about heads and that's yeah. probably the earliest form of well known form of food one of the mm. very very early foods i mean the, the eating of hazelnuts goes right back to mesolithic times yeah yeah i mean they've been found at that date presumably who knows how far back they're exactly. very very one of the primal foods yeah yeah it's very sort of deep and, and basic in that way and funnily enough uh, so are salmon um also in this country you yeah. know so right back people lived on salmon and hazelnuts yeah right back to when there really were people first in this country they were yeah. the first foods that they some of the first foods they ate yeah um mind you they also ate a lot of oysters yeah it doesn't seem to be an oyster mythology no we, we're sadly lacking in that department <laughs> oh except for the walrus and the carpenter yes. were walking hand in hand yeah but that's charged off some yes and it's a bit Lewis more Carol. recent than the mesolithic <laughs> Yeah, but it's just it's kind of weird. Yeah. So we now demand an oyster mythology. Yeah, exactly. Yes. If anyone can figure it out, <laughs> answers on a postcard, please. Where's the oyster mythology? It's gone missing again. <laughs> it's walked off into the sea, or maybe it was eaten yes. by the walrus and the carpenter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They are That's a nasty pair. That's enough. <laughs> This is getting even weirder. The twelfth and final gift from the treasure bag of the Fianna mm. is, in fact, the Holy Grail. <laughs> it was a kind of specialised item. So this time, I'm going to hand over to Isolde to tell you all about it. Yes. Well, it's not none of your grail-shaped beacons here. What we're talking about is the Kindermaschnechte. And this is, it's the Holy Grail for Celtic scholars, is what it is. Uh, it is a missing manuscript, or a missing text and um, you know you've heard us talk so many times about you know this appears in the book of leinster and uh, you know and this is in the the yellow book of lecan and the book of ballymote and so on but there these manuscripts they do refer to one another and they do quote one another mm -hmm. and for example we can put together a lot of if you like the the primary legal text of old ireland which was the shenachas Moor, because in all kinds of other legal discussions they do things like they will quote and they'll say as it says in the Shenachas Moor mm -hmm. and so then you know okay that's part of the material so that's one of the if you like the primary texts of early Irish scholarship. So, so many of the surviving ones are copies of. Exactly yes or will you know refer to in, in the same way that with a lot of the classical sources you know a lot of classical writers um, are preserved through being quoted and cited mm. in other works in later works. But the Kindra Mishnechta it is quoted everywhere in fact just when we were doing uh, Mither and Aideen there one of those um, wonderful Rusk poems that the, the Mither's workmen sang oh, those are beautiful. yeah as they were building the causeway the second one is introduced it said these are the words in the men in the mouths of the men as they were building the roadway as it says in the keen Dramashnachta. and I think that there is a fairly sizable list of you know tales and stories and other texts that are contained within Kindramashnekta which have been put together from all these references but it's lost 
Yeah, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff that's in there where we don't have any other copies. No one has found the King Drummer We do not have a copy of it surviving. And it's very unlikely that it... Well, it's, it's quite unlikely, but not according to Dr. Heather C. Key. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Who, um, when we first sort of met and started talking about such things and we were referring to some of these tales, because there's a lot of the mythological ones particularly. Mm -hmm. Oh, wouldn't it be in wonderful? The, yeah, in the Keen Drama Shack. I was like, if only, if only, you know. And she said, oh, I know where it is. What? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Hang on. Did I miss something? Did I miss something in the news? And she goes, oh, no, I know exactly where it is. I'm just going to go and get the TARDIS and bring it back to when the scribes were originally putting together the Keen Dramashnachta and then I'm bringing it back here. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we know where and when it was compiled, as it were. Yes, but yes. There's no, there's no, extra no. Copy we, of we it. don't have a copy left. So oh, I just hope she can get a hold of the TARDIS. I know. Yes. So, Doctor, when you're when you're listening to this podcast, as you will in the infinite time and space, you know, um, then just do us that quick favour. That's you? the gift that we would like. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That is the the one to end all gifts. And and yeah, I can so, only imagine what it might actually bring up. So that that's if we could take anything out yeah. of the crane skin bag. Man and man! Oi! <laughs> that's what I want for Christmas! <laughs> All I want for Christmas is the Keen Drummerschneck. Oh, don't start singing again. <laughs> no, we said no singing, didn't We've we? We've only been drinking tea during this uh, episode. <laughs> so anything, uh, any sort of weirdness is our own, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes, we are entirely responsible for the weirdness. Right, so that's the complete set of gifts from the crane skin bag. One for each of the 12 days of Christmas. And no, we're still not going to sing. No, sorry about any any reference to singing. But <laughs> the thing, though, with the crane skin bag is that the gifts are only there when the tide is in. They all disappear as soon as the tide goes out. Well, what I want to know is, do they disappear if the tide is out, if they're already out of the bag? Well, they'd have to, really, because that's how magic works in folk tales, isn't it? It can't be, you know, straightforward. That would just be far too simple. Ooh, yeah, but if that means that if we go rushing across the country, we could find somewhere where they're accessible all the time. <laughs> you mean there's always somewhere where the tide is in? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a bit too much work for me. <laughs> I'm not sure it would have worked that way anyway. That would have been considered cheating. Well, it was all so much easier before magic caught on in medieval times. Oh, Let's go back to the time before. Yeah. Well, you know, in the time before that, maybe we might as well just go and spend New Year on the Island of Apples. Oh, no, I can't face it. I haven't even got around to picking up all the ones that fell off the trees I've got this year. <laughs> Well, there's a good choice there anyway to add to your list to well, whoever you're writing to to get those gifts. Yeah, well, and also I hope you get gifts um, that are as good as the ones out of the crane skin bag. And oh, who knows? And we'll keep looking for our, the one that we want. Oh, but... yes. Oh, that would be amazing. Mm. Well, what else can we say? Season's greetings? Yes, wherever and whenever you are. See you in 2014.
monks are entirely amazing, stupendous, outrageous, industrious, nimble, colossal, unearthly, superhuman, unbeatable, extraction, back photogenic cells, and above all, exceedingly friendly. All I want for Christmas is a Shaolin monk. He protect my friends and family. Yeah, all I want for Christmas is a Shaolin monk. But you better get a small one so he'll fit under the tree. All I want for Christmas is a Shaolin monk. They're wacky, zany, crazy, funny guys. Yeah, all I want for Christmas is a Shaolin monk. I might need more than one, maybe three or four or five. Behind.